Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Pink Winds, Green Cats, Radiant Rocks, and other classics by the forgotten woman of science fiction's golden age. You never heard of her, but you should have. Her name is Frances Deegan. She wrote 21 stories and 35 articles under her own name for the science fiction pulps between 1944 and 1952, when few other women were selling to them at all. Yet you won't find her listed in any book about science fiction. Not the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, A Reader's Guide to Science Fiction, Pamela Sargent's Women of Wonder, Roger C. Schlonbin's comprehensive listing of women science fiction authors, Urania's Daughters, Alexei and Corey Panshin's The World Beyond the Hill, or David Hartwell's Dark Descent. In fact, in the years since her death, Frances Deegan has become the forgotten woman of the golden age of pulp science fiction, and none of her stories have ever been republished until now. The only place you will find Frances Deegan's name is buried among the plethora of male authors in the table of contents listings for old science fiction magazines. Yet at a time when only a handful of women were writing or reading science fiction, Frances Deegan was one of the field's most popular authors, if the letter columns of the period are to be believed and that popularity was deserved as this first-ever collection of her story shows. And what stories they are! Set against backgrounds that are often rustic, the radiant rock, peopled with characters who are decidedly not urban, the wizard of Blue Gap, and frequently humorous, with comic touches in even the most straightforward scientific puzzle story, the third bolt. They blazed new trails for science fiction when first written and still stand out as vigorous, idiosyncratic work even today, a half-century after they were written. It is hoped that this collection will introduce the work of this forgotten woman to new generations and help in some measure to rescue the name and reputation of Frances Deegan from obscurity. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Pink Winds, Green Cats, Radiant Rocks, and other classics. Pink Wind Fantastic Adventures, March 1951 The search for Kremp Haggerty had been going on for two years, when Bob Wren brought Kremp's daughter Lala back from Venus. The girl was half Venusian, with long purple eyes, a tiny nose, yellow skin, and flowing black hair. She had all the tricks and manners of the yellow Venusians, but there was earthly intelligence there, too, beneath her shallow prattle and playful habits. It was that intelligence which made her difficult to handle. Besides which, she'd inherited her father's gift for plain and fancy lying. Wren was convinced she was Haggerty's daughter, and if anybody could identify the old reprobate, Lala was that person. He had a hunch he knew where to look next for Haggerty. The intelligence department had followed leads which took him far and wide throughout the solar system and added nothing good to Haggerty's reputation. The one place they had not looked was right under their noses, in the settlements around Central Spaceport on Earth. If Haggerty had managed to slip through quarantine with faked papers, 
he wouldn't find it so easy to slip out again. Regulations had tightened considerably since his last known visit to Earth some ten years before. Although Crimp Haggerty was featured prominently on all wanted lists, the local police had never found the slightest hint of his presence. Wren took Lala with him when he went to make his preliminary report, but the chief was not amused. Lala ran to his desk, leaned far over, and spit at him. Liar, she shrilled. You are not my father. Wren grabbed her and gave her a hard spank. She backed away, rubbing the place and smiling venomously. This man is the chief, Wren said. You've offended him, and now you've offended me. Nobody said he was your father. Now you'll be punished hard. Liar, she said softly and licked her lips. You've spoiled her, the chief accused grimly. Not I. She was like that when I caught her. She's Haggerty's daughter and she's going to help me find him. Where? Right here, I hope. He left Venus three years ago, bound for Mars on the Centillion, which was on the Triplanet run at the time. I think he left the ship here when she was laid up for repairs instead of completing the round trip. I couldn't find any evidence of his return to Venus. What does she say? The chief snapped. She keeps changing her story. She's inherited her father's tendency to prevaricate, with frills. Lala had begun to primp and preen without benefit of a mirror, and the chief looked at her without pleasure. Brand Hickey was a solid, chunky man with a keen, hard mind. As chief of the I.D., he was seldom surprised and rarely pleased, but he was respected, not only by his own men, but by every other government department. Maybe she's not even his daughter, he growled, and shot a suspicious glance at Wren. I checked that, Wren said stiffly. And I also found more samples of the X-Metal in the hut where she was living. The bulk of the stuff is consigned to you and ought to be delivered shortly, but she's... Come here, Lala. She came at once, light-footed in soft leather moccasins, and leaned against him affectionately. He lifted a silky black cord of braided hair over her head, and she wailed and tried to scratch him. He held her off with an experienced grip and tossed the ornament to the desk. A polished green metal object hung from the hair braid necklace. It looked like an irregular lump of melted metal, with a loop formed by chance on one end through which the cord was strung. The chief picked it up and hitched his chair closer to the desk turning it in his blunt fingers. He nodded his head slowly. That's the stuff, all right. She know anything about it? I me! I me! Lala began to wail in a chant which grew louder and shriller with each repetition. Rin shook his head and held out his hand. The ornament was quickly tossed back to him, and he slipped it over Lala's head as she tried to bite him. But the piercing chant stopped abruptly. She whirled suddenly toward the chief, and he threw up his arms defensively, but Wren caught her and backed her away out of range. I don't think she knows where it came from. To her it's just a good luck charm which her father brought her. Apparently she's fond of him, so I'm counting on a spontaneous reunion if he's anywhere around here. 
You'll have your hands full taking her through the dives where he's likely to be hanging out. He knows he's wanted on smuggling charges, quite aside from our interest in the X-Metal, and he certainly won't be alone. You may have trouble proving his identity since he and his daughter are both practiced liars. I know. Wren nodded thoughtfully and glanced at Lala, who was once more absorbed in her endless primping. That's the one thing that keeps bothering me. Why the department's willing to go to so much trouble and expense to find the guy when he's such a big liar that nothing he says can be relied upon, even after we get him. There's no doubt but what he went to Vulcan on the only known expedition to that planet twenty years ago. There were three ships, and he was captain of one. The other two were never heard from, but he turned up again on Venus. What's more, he carried a letter from Captain Blaylock to his wife, written on Vulcan, and mentioning the fact that our subject had quarreled with the man leading the expedition and was returning. Of course, that's no proof that the X-Metal came from Vulcan. No, the chief admitted. We have nothing but the subject's word for that. He donated a good-sized hunk of the stuff to old Cap Mulligan's museum, and that's how it was tagged. When Mulligan died, the stuff was all turned over to the government, and some bright boy got curious about the chunk of Vulcan and started running tests on it. You know the rest. Wren nodded. So now they want to see more of the mysterious X-Metal, but they don't want to send an expedition to Vulcan without further proof. By the time they get through hunting our guy, they'll have spent enough to outfit an expedition in the first place. Not quite, the chief said dryly. The reason our subject is so valuable is because the situation is so unusual. The planet Vulcan was discovered nearly a thousand years ago, way back in the 20th century. But except for that one known expedition, it's never been visited. Observatory reports show it to be without life of any kind smoldering with interior heat and lashed by violent storms. As far as we can find out, our subject is the only man alive who's been there and back. All the rest of the crew of his expedition ship have died or vanished in the past twenty years. Also, the X-Metal is not to be found anywhere else in the solar system. It was only by chance that its potential value was discovered. Wren shook his head and grimaced in disbelief. The facts don't hang together, Chief. According to the lab reports, the stuff is not pure metal, but a mysterious alloy, which should indicate that it was produced by some form of intelligent life. But according to observatory reports, life on Vulcan is impossible. There may have been some life at some time in the remote past, although, the chief admitted, that also seems impossible. The core of the planet is still dangerously hot. It must have been much hotter in the past. However, our speculations don't count and won't get us anywhere. All we have to do is follow orders. In this case, the order came from the top, so let's not question it out loud. I'll get you a special permit for her, but you'll have to take full responsibility. If she gets loose or causes any trouble, it'll be on your head. Meanwhile, you'd better put her in detention and file your formal report. And don't spare the details. The department doesn't look too good on this job, so do what you can to help me convince them how tough it's been and how thorough we've been. I'll make it good, Wren grinned. I had to fight her whole tribe to get this baby away from them. And those samples of metal ought to be a big help. That makes the trail look hot, whether it is or not. 
If it is, the chief murmured. If you turn him up here, there'll be a nice bonus for you, Bob. The department has had too many men tied up for too long on this thing. The old scoundrel is more slippery than a needle in a haystack. And in our case, we don't know which haystack he's hiding in. He flipped a thumb at Lala. You better put her back together before you take her out of here. Lala, put your dress on, Rin said sharply. She had taken it off and was trying to drape it around her lithe midsection, humming contentedly over the task. Rin started toward her, and she tried to put it on upside down, giggling delightedly. He finally got it pulled down over her head, his face reddening with the effort, as the chief looked on sardonically. It doesn't pay to spoil them, the chief remarked dryly. I don't want to antagonize her, Wren explained somewhat sheepishly. She'd be no help to me at all if I abused her. Well, she's your problem. You brought her here on your own initiative. Don't blame the department if she cuts your throat. I won't, Wren said shortly. Leave it on, he admonished the wriggling Lala. We're going out. Her slim, lithe body was suddenly still. She drew herself up with dignity and walked to the door with regal grace. Suddenly she whirled and spat an ugly name at the chief, adding, Liar! Thief! Unmoved, the chief flipped a palm outward in the universal gesture of rejection that said plainer than words, Take her away. Wren took her, and not without some difficulty, left her in detention. Her wailing chant followed him down the corridor from a private cell as he left. He spent the entire day on his report, heeding the chief's injunction to include all details and difficulties. Before he was finished, he was gratified to hear that receipt of the X-Metal samples had occasioned some excitement in the Department of Metals and Minerals. The mysterious combination of elements was consistently the same in all the specimens, and it was that combination which gave the stuff its high value. It was exactly what was needed in the construction of powerful communication equipment. No other known metal or alloy could be made to meet the specifications. But if the source of the X-metal could be discovered, it would be possible to produce equipment that would bridge vast distances, and would be the final step in man's conquest of time and space. Wren sighed and thought of the disreputable old space rover he was hunting. So often in the glorious history of humanity, the greatest advances depended upon a frail and inglorious individual. Almost as if fate meant to teach man humility in his greatness. The special permit for Lala was delivered to his quarters, but it was evening before he returned to the detention building. The superintendent met him with cold disapproval. I thought you told us that Venusian devil was not wild, he said. She should have been assigned to psychotreatment. What's she done? Rin sighed resignedly. Scratched up two women guards, wrecked the cell, and screamed all day. She wouldn't eat either, so it was impossible to slip her a narcotic. I don't want her drugged, Rin snapped. I'll take her off your hands right now. You will not, the super declared. I can't release anything in that condition, and you know it. Just what, he added icily, do you think you're trying to get away with? Confidential business, Wren returned coldly. 
and showed the special permit with ID seal and signature. Oh, a special, the super muttered dubiously, and looked more closely at Wren, who still wore the uniform of executive officer in the interplanetary transport. Oh, oh, your ID. I thought, the uniform, of course. Never know where you fellows are going to turn up. You can check with the ID afterwards, Wren snapped, and went toward the cell corridor. There was no sound of screaming now, and he said, If you've done anything to quiet her. No, no, I'm sure nothing's been done. She may have harmed herself, but I can't be responsible for that. Wren quickened his pace and looked into a cell where food had been splashed and smeared, utensils and bedding scattered, and the inmate was totally disrobed. She was huddled in one corner now, with her clothes lying in shreds about her. Rin snatched the key from the super and entered the cell with every intention of administering a sound thrashing. But she saw him with a pitiful moan and ran to him shivering and sobbing. I told you I'd come back, he said harshly, and picked up a torn blanket to cover her. Get some clothes, he ordered the gaping super. Something bright. Liar, Lala sobbed. He is not my father. Confound it, I didn't say he was. You should be punished hard for behaving like this. I did. I did. I punished me. All my clothes, see? I can think of a better way than that. Now listen carefully. It's dark night. Liar! It is bright light! No, I've tried to explain that to you. Here we have a quick light and quick dark, one after the other. Not like the long light and dark on Venus. You'll see when we go out, and where we're going, the dark is dangerous. You must be a lady and stay close to me. Yes? She blinked liquid eyes at him and leaned forward attentively as he told her carefully how to behave, promising dire results if she didn't. The settlements around Central Spaceport were seldom mentioned, officially or otherwise. Efforts to regulate them had proved unavailing and they'd come to be considered a necessary evil. All races and forms of life met and mingled here and formed native groups, both for protection and pleasure. Strange vices and odd customs were practiced, and afterwards carried to other worlds. It was regrettable, but not surprising, that the vices were more infectious than the virtues. Lala behaved well. She was delighted with the carnival atmosphere of the settlements. Nor was it strange to see an officer of the interplanetary transport escorting a female from another world. There were many such couples and groups, seeking gaiety and excitement after the strain of a long space voyage. But as the night wore on, and they penetrated deeper into the less frequented regions of the settlements, Rin grew more watchful and cautious. The darker resorts were less hospitable and the customers seemed to take their vices much more seriously. It was a time and place to tread warily, and Rin kept a tight hold on Lala's arm as they entered a dusky, nondescript drinking place, which seemed to cater to the riffraff of all worlds. Rin suspected that more than drinks were dispensed here. In spite of the ID and well-trained customs guards, Strange and powerful drugs found their way from one world to another, 
although not all creatures derived the same effect from all drugs. A comparatively harmless medicinal herb from Mars produced a fiery stimulant for the sluggish natives of Saturn and Pluto. And there were many similar examples of the old adage, one man's meat is another man's poison, which made it impossible to control the illegal traffic around Central Spaceport. Near the front of the shabby room, a slender, pale Martian leaned on the bar. He eyed Lala indolently and grinned at Rin. His companion was a short, red-headed Earthman who kept his eyes scrupulously lowered to the glass of yellow liquor in front of him. His name was Gans, and Rin had once arrested him on Mars for jewel smuggling. His nerves quickened as he realized this must be a smuggler's hangout, as well as a dope den. He knew in the same moment that Gans would undoubtedly tip them off. He was half-minded to turn around and leave when Lala broke away, screaming, Lars! Lars! She flung herself at a blonde giant, and he snatched her up like a baby, roaring her name. What the hell you doing here? he bellowed, and hard blue eyes swung on Rin as he approached. The giant put Lala down carefully and planted himself before Rin with great fists doubled, menacingly. The assorted toughs all understood the signs of combat and moved back from the pair. But Lala cried out again and ran to meet a grizzled, bushy-haired roughneck who stepped out of the crowd at the back. He embraced her quickly and pulled her back to where Rin and Lars confronted each other. Rin had to make a split-second decision, and he didn't hesitate. His left lashed out in a savage blow to the stomach that bent the giant and took all the steam out of the belated drive of his big fist. It slid past Rin's jaw and swung around his neck. Rin was set and uncorked a right that cracked like a shot, and turned the big red face ceilingward as the giant dropped with a thud that shook the flimsy shack. There were gasps of awe from all sides, and the thin voice of Gans behind Rin said, I told you I... Lala covered her mouth with her palm, looking down at Lars. Suddenly she clapped her hands gleefully and laughed with rippling delight. Wren acted by instinct then. Breathing heavily, but still watchful, he held out his hand and Lala ran to him and leaned affectionately in the curve of his arm. It released the tension in the dusky room. The pantomime explained matters to the satisfaction of all the alien minds in the place. It was a man and woman matter, and it had been settled. They returned to their own affairs, leaving the unfortunate Lars to struggle out of his black pit alone. I want to talk to you, Crimp, Rin said quietly. The grizzled old-timer eyed him with one eye squinted half shut, and the other hard and round under a bushy eyebrow. The hooked nose, long jaw, and cruel mouth gave him a piratical look, but there was hard intelligence there, too. His eyes slid over Rin's shoulder without changing, and Rin guessed he was getting the high sign from somebody behind him, probably Gans. He remained as he was, with one arm around Lala. Lala, Crimp said huskily, is this man police? Yes, Lala answered clearly. He is ID, and he wants to talk to you about the metal from Vulcan. It is important. They are very anxious. He did not come here for anything else. 
Wren was surprised, but not overwhelmed by her quick answer. He'd suspected all along that she was much more intelligent than she appeared to be. Why did you hit Lars? Crimp asked curiously. I had to dispose of him quick. If I'd waited, you would have set him on me, and if I'd waited, I might not have been successful. Crimp nodded and grinned tightly. He may get another chance, but I'll talk to you in the back. Lars was stirring feebly, and Crimp encouraged him with a jostling foot. The giant crawled clumsily to his feet and stood swaying, still shocked and dazed by the incredible experience. No man ever knocked me down before, he mumbled, not angrily, but with a kind of wonder. No man. Not even on Pluto. We'll get him to tell you how he did it, Crimp said dryly. Go on back to the booth. Lars went obediently, stumbling a little, and Crimp motioned Wren to follow. Lala still clung to him, and the old rover brought up the rear. Little open curiosity was displayed, but Wren knew the sign had gone around, and they all knew him for what he was and watched him through the dusk with cat eyes. Caution would no longer serve him here, as it was a matter of gauging his opponent and judging accurately, playing his cards at the right time. The establishment was much larger than it appeared to be. A long double row of fully enclosed booths extended back for some distance. Curtains shrouded the low entrance of each. Lars entered a booth and slumped down on the bench at one side of the dimly lit table. Lala and Wren took the other side, and Crimp Haggerty joined Lars. He produced a long, slender bottle from the floor and poured a drink for Lars. The liquid was colorless and exuded a sharp, acrid odor. It was the forbidden Lespe from Mars, and Crimp recorked the bottle and put it back without offering it to anyone else. The liquor revived Lars with fiery suddenness, and he grinned at Wren expectantly. Wren tipped his hand at Lars in acknowledgment and addressed Crimp. You must be awfully damn tired of being stuck here. Aren't you about ready to go out? You got a deal? Crimp husked. I have. Why did you quit the expedition on Vulcan twenty years ago? The pink wind, Crimp whispered harshly. The goddamn blasting pink wind. And nobody'll believe me. It ruined me. I lost my rating because everybody believed I deserted. But I was right. I know I was. I tried to get the other ships to leave with me. Wren had hit a gusher on the first try. All the time and effort he'd put in studying this man's past history and reconstructing his character now paid off. That fatal expedition had become an obsession with him, and whenever he tried to tell his story, men laughed in disbelief. This time, nobody laughed. He couldn't have asked for a more attentive listener than Wren, or a more sympathetic one because Crimp Haggerty at one time had been tops as a space captain, and Wren knew it and knew that his fall into criminal activities must have been bitter and painful for a man of his brilliant talent. As Crimp talked, an idea began forming in Wren's mind, an explanation of the mystery of the X-Metal. He probed at various points of Crimp's story, had him repeat certain details, and all the time became more and more sure of his theory. Finally, he offered Crimp the deal which he was authorized to make. 
If he could rediscover the source of the X-Metal, all his past sins would be wiped out as far as the ID was concerned. When Wren left the shadowy resort, Crimp Haggerty and Lars Larsen went with him. Bob Wren stood on a jagged outcropping among the tortured gray crags and spires on Vulcan. The wind was powerful and he clung to the rock, secure enough in the specially designed suit that was like scaled armor. Even his face and skull were covered with it, and he looked out through lenses that could be adjusted to distance. Below him, in the center of a vast bowl, a large, silvery-white blister was growing imperceptibly. Even under the leaden sky that covered the planet, the gigantic blister glowed with unnatural menace. Beside Wren, Crimp Haggerty watched with him. But now he knew what the blister was, and was not terrified only anxious to get away in time. He touched Wren's arm with a hard push, and nodded his head forcefully, and they turned and made their way back to where the two expedition ships were loaded and waiting. The data they carried was almost as important as the black bars and chunks of metal which had exploded and scattered in the time of the pink wind, when the skin of another molten blister had burst. Locks were slammed, too, and the first ship took off immediately and quickly vanished in the murk. The second ship, with Wren and Haggerty aboard, lifted more slowly and drifted back over the ragged, storm-tormented landscape. They passed over the first deep bowl and crossed more of the nightmare spires and crags. And then Wren saw it far in the distance, sweeping down and across the ash-gray rock, the pink wind searing and blasting its way like the fires of hell let loose. By heaven, it is pink, he said in a surge of unaccustomed emotion. You were right, Crimp. We were both right. Lift, goddammit, Crimp was roaring at the ship's captain. Up and out of it, you fool, if we're caught. The captain was galvanized into action and the ship lurched and nosed up in a reckless blast that nearly prostrated all on board. And yet, so fast was the fury of the pink wind that they barely cleared, and behind them the blister they'd watched burst in a terrifying blaze of white heat that turned blood red, increased the color and fury of the pink wind. A while afterward, the captain relaxed and wiped the sweat off his face. So, that was it, he said with a good deal less than his usual authoritative firmness. Vulcan, that ball of hell was well named. Now you've seen it, Haggerty said with his old bitterness. Wren stretched in his chair and eyed Haggerty a little sadly. We've seen it, and you're clean, Crimp, after all these years. Think you'll stay clean? Hell, I'm getting old, Haggerty grumbled. Too old for the fast game. You don't have to worry about me any more. The captain seemed to find this reference to Crimp's evil-doing embarrassing and turned the talk back to the wonders they'd just witnessed. We took an awful chance, he said. If that damn thing had caught us, we'd have burned down to ash in seconds. He turned on Wren, suddenly realizing the slim margin of escape they'd had. You knew the danger. You had no right to insist. Crimp was entitled to it, Wren said. Unless we'd seen it, there'd still be some doubt, and I promised him he'd be cleared completely. 
I've seen it, but I still don't understand it, the captain growled. The very atmosphere ignites, but what keeps it going? Why doesn't the whole thing burn up in one fiery blast? The planet cools as it turns, Wren said. The air becomes moist and the fire dies. It's a natural smelter and refinery with a core of molten metals which ooze out in those great blisters. The pink wind cracks off splinters of rock and drives them through the skin of the blisters so that they explode successively. The molten metal cools and solidifies where it falls. Once the atmosphere ignites from the heat of the blisters, the explosions spread it and keep it going until the cool season damps it out. It's so simple, the captain said. After you know, hell, crimp, your pink wind is going to make an awful lot of faces red. Serves them right, crimp growled ungraciously. I guess Lala, she'll be glad to see us when we hit Venus. He was watching Wren under the shaggy brush of his eyebrows. Wren carefully said nothing, and after a long silence, Crimp asked bluntly, You tell her you were taking her back to Earth with you? No, I didn't tell her that. She said you did. She's a terrible liar. Gets it from her Venusian relatives. I guess you made a hit with her all right. I guess you'd treat her right. It's all right with me if you want to take her. Wren shuddered inwardly at the memory of Lala's capers and said gently, I appreciate your generosity, Crimp, but you don't have to go that far to show your gratitude. I wouldn't think of depriving you of your daughter now that you're getting old. Hell, I ain't that old, Crimp roared indignantly. I'm figuring on applying for the Vulcan run. If anybody can outsmart that pink wind, I guess I can. I was kind of hoping to get Lala settled in good hands before I take on a regular run again. Big Lars pushed in from the passageway to report for duty at the controls. Before taking his place, however, he turned on Haggerty, his big fists swinging in short, tight arcs. You let anybody else get Lala, he said heavily, and I kill him and you too. Wren breathed a sigh of relief and beamed at Lars admiringly. With a little manipulation, he could, he decided, bury that indictment Lars had hanging over him for smuggling on the Mars run. That was little enough to do for the man who'd delivered him from Lala's charms. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Pink Wind's Green Cats, Radiant Rocks, and Other Classics. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com audible.com and itunes.com